The Derby Trail is heating up and it's on its way to New York. Bet the Withers stakes this weekend with a $200 sign-up bonus from Naira Bets. New players who sign up today with promo code Rewind200 can earn a $200 bonus just in time to bet the Withers from home. Sign up today with promo code Rewind200. That's R-E-W-I-N-D-2-0-0 at NairaBets.com or download the Naira Bets app. And also, don't forget about those Naira Bets contests that are available every Saturday online. $300 buy-in, all cash prizes. Registration does end, respectively, at Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And now, let's head on to this week's Redboard Rewind. Welcome to Episode 77 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Lugamiel, and today my special guest is Curtis Calward of The Magic Mike Show. And today we covered four races from Santanita Park from last Saturday's wonderful Robert B. Lewis card. Those races were 1, 5, 7, and 8. And some angles we talked about are knowing what the trainers at your circuit excel at. Is Medina Spirit a possible bounce candidate in his next prep? And reading conditions and using logic to help toss a bad second choice. This is a Redboard Rewind. It's the same old And I'd like to welcome in my special guest, Magic from the Magic Mike Show. How are you today? Uh, good morning, sir. I'm very well. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. A longtime listener of your show, so uh, I'm very excited to be on here. You've had plenty of really big-name guests on here, so I feel like I, uh, I'm very honored to be on here. You've had my co-host, uh, Mike Samich, on a couple of times. Um, you had Matt Bernie on recently. Uh, Brad Free, which is one of my top handicappers that I always look at, was on a couple weeks ago. So I- I'm very honored to be here, Spencer. Thank you. It's interesting, obviously, now we're, we're both podcast hosts, and coming from that perspective, I always find it hard when I'm on, you know, PTF shows, and it's like, okay, I have to switch gears now, and instead of someone trying to juggle, you know, six or seven balls in the air, now it's kind of just, you know, answer the question, instead of worrying about, like we had talked about off-air, transitioning, and all that other kind of good stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's different. It. it it's a good workout because you and I are so used to hosting that we're in this kind of mindset when we're on the show where you're balancing keeping the show moving as much as you are engaging with the guest and uh, you know thinking about topics to discuss. But when you're on this side of it, man, it's this is like a vacation, man. So I love it. You, you're doing the hard work. All I have to do is talk, which is not not hard for me to do. So let's get started with what kind of brought you into racing. For people who don't know, you're pretty new to the game, if I'm, if I'm right, and. Uh... It's only been, you know, a couple of years. What uh, what got you interested, and what's kind of kept that fire burning for you? So, uh, I'll be real quick, but I, I'm originally from Michigan. I moved out to Los Angeles because the woman I am now very happily married to uh, moved out here. She works in the television industry. So, she moved out here shortly after college. Um, I chased after her, got a job in minor league baseball, working for a guy who was my, one year older than me. I'm 32. And uh, we went to rival high schools. So... Los Angeles is about uh, about a four to five hour drive from Las Vegas, so we were both of age. We decided we went to Vegas every couple of months, which was great. And one of these trips, uh, a friend of his that he hadn't seen in a long time happened to be at the Rio, and he said, hey, well, while we're in Vegas, can we stop by and see my friend? I said, sure. He's at Rio playing the ponies. At this point, Spencer, I knew that the <laughs> Kentucky Derby was a thing. I knew that the Triple Crown was a thing. Uh, the only real memories I have 
of watching horse racing were, uh, I remember Big Brown, I remember Smarty Jones, and I very vaguely remember Rachel Alexander, and that's it. Uh, and so this is now 2015. Um, American Pharaoh has won the Triple Crown, I believe, by this point. I st all I know is that horses run in a circle. I don't know how many laps they do. I come from a, a stock car racing background where I'm used to doing 500 laps. So I, I'm like, I don't know how many laps do horses do. Probably not 500. That seems like a lot, but maybe maybe 100. I don't know. Uh, turns out I was very, very wrong about that. But um, people who know me or who know the Magic Mike show or the Racing Dudes team, uh, there's a legendary man named Wise Dan. Uh, and this is how I met Wise Dan, how Dan got into the whole fold. So Dan was the friend at Rio. Uh, he was playing... Uh, Dan has a, has a severe allergy to chalk, so Dan was sitting there firing, you know, 10 to 1 shots, 8 to 1 shots all day, and he was making a lot of money, and, and I ended up, he taught me how to read a daily racing form, how to go up to the window and say, Tampa Bay, race 7, 20 bucks to win on number 3, or number 3, 20 bucks to win, depending on who you're talking to. And so I just started playing to show, because I knew what it was, I knew it was a low-risk bet, and uh, I made enough money that I, from show betting that I was up quite a bit. I think Dan paid for about seven or eight future Vegas trips uh, with his money. And so I went back home and I told my wife, I was like, this guy, I met this guy named Dan. He's a genius. He was hitting all, I mean, he made like five, six grand on horse betting. Um, he told me about this thing called the Breeders' Cup where he once made, you know, five figures on a single race. This guy's a genius. I'm going back to the Breeders' Cup or, or going back to Vegas for the Breeders' Cup with him. Um, and then that's when I found out, Spencer, that uh, the only sure thing in horse racing is there are no sure things, um, and that hot streaks end very quickly, and I've never lost more money in my life than I lost that weekend at the Breeders' Cup. Uh, the only money I made was on American Pharaoh uh, getting the sweep in the Breeders' Cup Classic, and despite all that, still got hooked. So uh, I, I decided, I was like, well, Dan might not be the total expert that I assumed he was off of just one day, um, so I decided to try and figure out what is horse racing? What is betting? And then that's how I found the Racing Dudes team. Um, they, you know, there's free picks on the site if you've never been there. And they're very interactive on social media. And so I started asking very dumb, basic beginner questions. And over the course of uh, probably eight months, uh, I got to know them pretty well. They came out to Santa Anita for the Breeders' Cup. So I got to meet them uh, that weekend and struck up a friendship. A few months later, I reached out to them and said, hey, I'd love to come work for you guys for free. Uh, I'll just edit the stuff that's behind, you know, you guys are really smart about horse racing. The English language, the written language maybe isn't your strongest suit, uh, but that's a strong suit of mine. Let me come in and help you in exchange. I just want you to teach me about horse racing. And uh, let's see, that was 2016, so five years, it's almost five years to the day. Yeah, sorry, four years to the day that I started working for them. So I uh, don't work for them for free anymore. Thankfully, they were able to start paying me, but uh, I quit my job, my normal full-time job last year, right when the pandemic hit. Uh, decided to get into horse racing when there were no sure things that horse racing would even survive the pandemic. And yet, uh, you know, it's February 1st, here we are, still going strong. So, yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell. That's my background. I, I think, too, coming from, like, you have a better writing aspect of it. I'm the exact opposite. I feel like I'm, if I could go on talking courses, that'd be fantastic. I just started writing uh, three days a week for Oaklawn for PTF on In the Money. And he's been editing my stuff, and he's like, it's getting better, but there's still, you know, a couple of misconceptions here and there. And I just, I remember, because I started off writing for Scott Shapiro's website. It was actually, it was a week before my birthday. He was looking for somebody to handicap Santa Anita. And I said, I've never done it. Give me a shot. And he said, okay, you're in. So I really started off with Santa Anita for two or three years. So I also feel like when we get the arguments, you know, short fields, five horse fields, it's like, I understand that, but it's kind of like where my home started in this kind of business. So I also feel like I kind of have to like, you know, fight for it as well. Is there problems? There's problems at every track, but I think especially like Santa Anita, you know, you barely get any days except for Saturday, of course, where it was, it was good. 
uh, a good track, but you get good weather. You know, turf racing, I think, is very solid there. And I just feel mm-hmm. overall, you know, people complain. But when you look at guys like me and you, the way we started in the business was kind of just, you know, pure luck almost in a way. <laughs> I like to, yeah, kind of. I like to say that uh, uh, I've been very lucky in that I found myself put, I just put myself in positions where it's, things tend to kind of work out. And that mm-hmm. sounds I don't mean to sound like a jerk or bragging, but it's no. just sometimes if you, I was taught at a young age that if you work hard and try hard, that eventually something's going to align for you, but the pieces will fall together. So and I've had people ask me um, who are about our age, I think, I, I, I'm going to guess, I don't know, but I'm going to guess you're about a couple years younger than me, but even though your, your beard tells me that you're probably about uh, tw- <laughs> twice my age, but uh, um, I, I've had people ask me, you know, how do I get to be, you know, I'm currently the, the content manager. Anything that comes out on the website is, goes, basically goes through me first. So people say, how do you get into it? How do, I want to be like you. I'm, I'm not a great person to ask because I had a full-time job, started doing this for fun because the Breeders' Cup that year was going to be at Del Mar. And I'll, I'll be honest, Spencer, I wanted free tickets to the Breeders' Cup, which is why I started working for them. Mm-hmm. So um, joke's on them. Now they pay me a lot more than what those tickets are worth. But uh, I, I just, I, I got in, I worked hard, I wanted to learn. Um, and one thing that I've always uh, kind of believed is that I don't know the most about pretty much anything, but I can pretty good at finding people who do, who, who know a lot more about it. And so I like to gleam onto them and kind of sponge off of them. And so that's why, you know, working with the dudes is great. That's why I love Redboard Rewind, because between you and your guests, I can learn a lot each week. So it's, you know, you just got to put yourself in the right position and hope that eventually with hard work, it all pays off. And I think you and I, you especially are, are great examples of that. Uh, I am 30, just so you know, so we're right there in that right age <laughs> bracket. Uh, obviously, I started the Daily Gallop a couple of years ago coming off of the Bet Squad, and I always, I always, people can argue with me, but I think I had some of the best under 30 handicappers for everyone who's so used to, you know, seeing people, you know, older than us on the, you know, talking horses, et cetera, any show out there. There's a lot of young kids in this game who do understand the game really well. You know, I don't know how old Ricky is, but I, I know Ricky had such a great day the other day with the pick four, pick five, and pick six hit, I forget which track it was, but just how well these younger guys are doing now, we are understanding the game better. And, you know, everyone back in the day was, you know, win, play, show, and maybe a double or an exacta. You know, we we grew up now with the pick six, you know, and everyone says, oh, these jackpot pick six bets are bad. And I understand that, but for someone, you know, who is on a lower bankroll and they can make, you know, $1,000 on a, you know, $24 ticket, that's a big hit for us. I understand in the long run it's bad, but if – you want to try out a jackpot bet for 20 cents, do it once in a while, but like, don't do it every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, it, it, it's just, that I think it's, there's a nice wave happening, Spencer, that in, in horse racing where a lot of people our age are, are coming up and it's, they're emerging. It seems like every week I'm finding about someone else. I'm like, oh, or that person uh, had, was someone who was just dinking around in horse racing Twitter. Now they've got a full-time job working for Gulfstream or Woodbine or something. So uh, it's great to see because I feel like a lot of us bring in fresh ideas. We, you know, I haven't been in this sport my whole life. You haven't been in your whole life. So I don't have, you know, 30-year-old preconceived notions already embedded in me. I'm coming in looking at things going, well, you can easily improve that. You can improve that. Why don't we do this? And you that's how change happens. I, I equate horse racing a lot to baseball in that baseball uh, seems to take the longest of any major sport to adapt to something. But when they do, they usually end up being the most profitable with it. And I'm waiting for horse racing to find that most profitable side because, dang, darn it, they take a lot of time to uh, to, to adjust. Or, and I'm sorry, I'd, I'm used to being quite blue and vulgar on my show, so I'm, I'm trying very hard to make sure I don't slip up for you. <laughs> that's all right. That's what editing is for. 
Let's uh, let's kind of switch gears a little bit. Magic Mike, fantastic show. I always say like the first three things I'm listening to are you know the stuff from In the Money, Steve Bick, and then you guys. Just the way with the ticket construction, the way I can learn from that being a smaller type better. Maybe I'm not playing you know the big tickets from you know Mike Samich. Maybe I'm just playing your ticket, Magic. Just how did that whole show get started? And it, obviously, it's evolved from when it first started. <laughs> well, it definitely has. Um, so we, uh, one of the ideas I had when uh, working with the racing dudes is um, I wanted to do my own recap show. Uh, I had, was listening to Jason Beam's podcast uh, mm-hmm. daily, um, and every Monday he would come on and he would talk about what happened over the weekend. And I thought it was good. I thought there were things that I could take and uh, tweak a little bit, put my own spin on it, and make it different enough so that there's no way I could ever take down Jason Beam and his huge followership and the wonderful program he puts together. But I was like, he's the only one that really does that. I think there's room for it here. And so I pitched the idea to my bosses. And they said, yeah, that's great. Uh, and Mike Samich had just started um, mm-hmm. not even really working with us yet. We were friends with him, but um, we hadn't really started any business ventures together. And I was talking to him. I was like, yeah, I got this idea. And Mike said, hey, I'd love to be your first guest. Okay. So I brought him on to talk about the races that happened. And uh, the, the, I'll never forget that weekend was it was Lone Sailor losing the Ohio Derby. <laughs> right. And that was just a, a, a great way to start things off because of how frustrating that horse could tend to be in the lane. And uh, things worked really well. And we had a natural chemistry. And mind you, Mike and I have talked. We've met in person once. We've talked verbally two or three times before this happens. Uh, neither one of us knows what we're doing. And then we... Uh, we, we do the show and it gets done. Everybody's like, wow, you guys had a great chemistry. And someone just pitched the ideas like, you know, my nickname is Magic. There's not a good story for that. So I don't have to, it basically, my, my bosses, their grammar is bad. And that's how I became known as Magic. <laughs> um, they're like, boy, it's kind of funny, like the Magic Mike show. And I was like, well, it did work. I'll bring Mike on as my guest the second time. And it just kind of stuck. And, yeah. and that was, you know, two and a half years ago. So um we work out well what we do we started off again being a recap show and mike was starting to get known as the bomb guy because he would hit for five figures at keeneland i remember one day he one of the biggest scores of his life he hit for over five figures at keeneland and then he got this notoriety for how good he was at hitting these massive scores and so he pitched the idea what if we start doing uh, twice a week what if we start doing pick four shows and i have a full-time job i've got a wife i'm like ah, mm-hmm. let's see how it, i don't want to commit to too much but let's see how things work out and uh, we made it work. We had a lot of bumps along the way. Um, I know that you do your own producing, so you know that editing is a learn-as-you-go <laughs> process, yes. especially when you're doing it by yourself. So um, we had a lot of bumps. Uh, I would say if you wanted to go back and listen to any of our shows, maybe listen for five minutes to one of them, and you'll get an idea for how bad it <laughs> used to be. But uh, yeah, now we're, we've evolved to where we our number one watched or listened show is uh, we live stream it on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and it's on Thursdays at 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern. We preview the pick four, and we can give it our tickets, what we're going to play. And that's one thing that Mike and I have always prided ourselves on is that what we tell you we're going to do is what we'll bet. Uh, I don't have a big bankroll. Mike Samich uh, has a much bigger bankroll than me, and that's how, how life goes, right? We have different bankrolls. So I don't do much betting outside of the pick four tickets that I put up for the show. Mike bets a lot more, but... Uh, we're always honest. We're always open. And a lot of what we do on Monday is, is similar to what you do. Um, we, we read board and we look back and say, here's what we got right. A lot of times it's here's what we got wrong and what we can learn moving forward, which is why on my show, a lot of times we'll, we'll talk about your show, Spencer, about how important it is to 
look back at what you did and why were you right? Why were you wrong? It's, those are very important factors, not just that you did it, but why? And so you know, anytime we can educate people on our show, that's what we're trying to do. It's, it's a free show. We're not trying to make money off of it. Uh, if you've listened long enough, you know that my tickets don't always turn a profit, but uh, we're all about the education and, and growing and learning and, and becoming better horse players overall. I love I love the fact of the show how it did uh, progress over into the pick four pick five. I remember uh, me and our mutual friend Vinny. Vinny would text me and be like, "Look at this ticket." I said, "Is that another Samich hit?" He goes, "Yeah." And then he sent to me like <laughs> six days in a row. I think it was like last November at Keeneland or October, whatever it was. And I'm like, "This dude's hit for like fifty thousand dollars this week. Like this is disgusting. Like how mm-hmm. how does he just?" And then the Samo bomb started to come out, and I'm like, "Good. At least now, like obviously, like there's." people who argue don't pay for picks and to me if someone's hitting and doing well and they have you know if you've kept records and they're up it does, then you're only going to make you know it's only going to be helping your game and mike does such a great job with explaining stuff obviously the poker background i think obviously helped him with the wagering side which i still think i struggle with especially what, what would you say is the number one thing that uh mike's at, taught you throughout the podcast Ooh, that's a great question because I honestly have, have learned a lot. I mean, it's been two and a half years and I mm-hmm. came in knowing nothing. Um, he taught me how to probably how to look for improvement. Um, don't look at the, a horse's past one or two races. Look at further back. If this is a, you know an eight-year-old horse in a 62-50 claiming race, uh, try and figure out what is it that could make this horse step forward if he's if he's finished you know eighth his last mm-hmm. six starts what can what can what can change um you know look for signals look for something that the trainer or jockey that they're trying to change up to make this horse better because this is a very difficult industry to make money in no matter what level you're at as a better as a jockey as a trainer it's a very hard industry to make a living and so these trainers uh, they're not putting horses into a spot just to lose. They're trying to win because this is how they're going to pay their bills. So you try and figure out, is a trainer trying something new with the horse that's losing? Uh, if a horse has been winning a lot lately, is it prime for an upset? How do you identify a bad favorite? There's a lot of things that, that go into it. But if there's one I could pick out off the top of my head, Spencer, it's trying to project what this horse is going to do next. Is it going forward? Is it going backward? And how can we capitalize on that as betters? Let's move on to our race for the day. I think this first race can exemplify a bunch of points you just made. It was race number one from Santa Anita. It was a state bred maiden special weight, 61,000 going six furlongs on the dirt. What did you like in here, Magic? So going into this Saturday and Sunday at Santa Anita, I had a feeling was going to be pretty chalky, and it's because we got a lot of rain, uh, so much rain <laughs> during the week that the, can- the Friday card was canceled preemptively, and Saturday's turf races were all taken off. Um, and people make fun of California racing for that sometimes, that, that we don't race in the rain that often. And it's twofold. One, yes, you remember two years ago, we had that huge rash of injuries that we almost lost racing California over. So they're a lot mm-hmm. more careful when it comes to the track surface and putting horses on it, which I think is a good thing because if it's going to protect the equine athletes, I think that's better than you know any lost revenue for that one day of racing. Um, but they also with California, it's a dry, desert, arid climate out here. So what that means is when there's a lot of rain and we got two and a half inches of rain uh, Friday, that water just sits on top of the dirt. It doesn't sink in. It's not like Kentucky, Michigan, New York, where the ground can just, it, it just easily soaks up all that water and it drains. It, this all just sits on the top and we have drain problems. So that's another reason why they canceled things. And so the card was, again, shorter field Saturday and Sunday, especially Saturday with no turf racing. It was going to be pretty chalky, and so I was trying to find races where I think there's going to be a vulnerable favorite, 
like I was talking about one thing Mike Samich taught me. And so, yeah, race one is a good spot to start. Uh, before the scratch, I was against the rail horse, the five to two second choice, our Miss Millie. Um, I thought that, you know, she, she had a lot of things going for her. She had the highest buyer figure in the field with a 59. Mike Smith was going to be riding. Um, I didn't like that she was drawn inside. And for California breads, I found out, Spencer, that most of them don't like to run very fast. Uh, it's not a great group, especially when they're this young and they're early in their three-year-old season. So I went looking for speed. And I think that the one, if she had race, was up against it from a pace perspective anyway. So I was against her. Um, I went outside to the six and the seven. I like these two horses a lot. The seven, you're getting Flavian Pratt, who's my favorite jockey in the world, uh, riding for Brian Coroner, who's a very capable trainer. I didn't love the two-to-one price, but I thought this horse has to be on the ticket because she's got the pace to be in it. She's got the right jockey. So this I thought was a good favorite, at least to use on a ticket defensively. I love the six. And, and I think you did as well. Maddie's mojito. She, it's the first time with Mark glad. We haven't seen her since August when she debuted. And you could be really forgiving and you should be really forgiving about a horse making its debut. She showed speed for about a pole and a half and then just completely threw in the towel and quit. Well, plenty of time off. Now we're with a more capable trainer, Mark glad who's adding blinkers, we're getting Abel Cedillo, who Ricky Gonzalez is a fantastic jockey, but Abel Cedillo was one of Bob Baffert's go-to guys for a reason. So now we're putting Cedillo aboard. Um, plenty of things to like about this horse on paper. And the five to one price, I thought was a very good value for what we were going to get here. And again, if I'm trying to beat who I think is a vulnerable favorite, like the seven, who I think is a bad short price, like the one, I went to the six is a good spot. I will say that my top choice ended up being the three. Uh, feeling flush. This is a filly for Michael Wilson, who's only had six stars in 2020, but I had heard a little bit of rumbling about this filly when she was uh, the winter meet at Del Mar. She was slowly starting to develop and catch people's eyes, and she's training well at Santa Anita. The fact that Joel Rosario rides for a trainer who's got six starts total all of last year really caught my attention because he has no business being here other than the fact that his agent, Ron Anderson, I think is the best jockey agent uh, in North America. He handles Rosario and he handles, handles Velasquez on two different coasts right now. And the fact that they put the Rosario on this horse, and I'd heard a little bit of rumbling about her, was enough for me to want to overcome that Tamarando is a stire, was 0 for 7 with debut horses. Um, hit the damn 110 of 57 starts, but wasn't a you know, big name horse, but I thought there was enough here with six to one to take a shot. Um, but as far as betting wise was going, I, I was using three, six, seven in my multis and uh, I definitely was going to try and box him up in an exact to see if we could get him home. I, I like the fact that you went after two price plays, especially the Rosario uh, add on. That was something I really looked at. I feel like Rosario in certain races out in Southern California, it kind of diminishes the value as, as does, you know, Umberto Raspoli and Flavian Pratt. Uh, the seven on the outside, Pratt's up for the fourth time. This horse has run second three times. I just thought that this was going to be the overbet favorite and that second-itis and coming off the layoff. Uh, Brian Corner's only 8% over 25 starts in the last two years, which is going to be a horse I wanted to play against. Maddie's Mojito. I don't think people do this enough where, for people who don't know, obviously you do, Mark Glatt is a dirt sprint trainer. That's the best surface and best distance he, he works at. You're getting a huge trainer switch to him going stay, and staying on doing what he knows best. I feel like if people use DRF Formulator and just, you know, spent one day like they would do on YouTube going down the rabbit hole and at your major track looking at the top 10 trainers and figuring out, you know, what they're good at, what they're bad at, you would almost begin to, you know, compile a list of, you know, something that no one else has really in the game. You know, everyone knows Chad Brown's good in the turf. 
But is he better with sprinters? Is he better with routers? Is he better, you know, stretching them out, turning them back? I think that that uh, matters a lot. And obviously you said first-time blinkers. The fact of the matter is this one only had one start and showed speed. It doesn't – now, obviously it works better for if you're dropping into maiden claiming, but when you show speed first time out and you fade like that, it's almost not toss the race out, but it's it, it shows value that the horse knows how to get out of the gate at least. And I thought that the 79 pace figure off time form – Matched up really well with the 83 and 82 from Ensley's Dream. And this is one at 5-1 to one that I just thought was the ultimate value, as you had said. Uh, the horse that scratched out you had talked about, the Eric Krulljack horse on the rail. I think Mike Smith is another one that obviously just takes value away. He is on a lot less horses now. I did like the improvement, uh, first to second start. But obviously, as you had said, was kind of up against it from a pace standpoint. These are the type of horses that people just look at and they see a top buyer and they just go and play. Whereas, you need to look and say, okay, where will this horse be at the quarter pole? Or after the first quarter? Oh, probably way out of it and now needing to, you know, get some more pace in the race. Didn't have it in this race. One that, obviously, scratch and we don't need to talk too much about it, but one I also thought was up against it. For me, the question I have for you, Bossy Mama the two, not <laughs> two great works the last two times out for Jeff Bondi. But he's 3% as a first-time trainer, and this horse went off at 5-2 to two going into the gate. I just – are people more looking at workouts, you feel, or is, like, do they just not care that he was 3-4, you know, whatever that would be fractional-wise? Yeah, that's a, I'm glad you brought up because I realized I, – I, I think that's about the only horse – well, not the only horse, but I, I wanted to touch on her, so I'm glad you brought her up. Uh, for taking money – Look who was in the saddle. Juan Hernandez came down from Golden Gate Fields last year. So two years ago, Abel Cedillo comes down from Golden Gate Fields. He was the top rider there and cleans up. And he immediately stamps himself. And now he's right there with Drayden in the Bob Baffert barn. Uh, Juan Hernandez, Ricky Gonzalez, they followed a year later. And Juan Hernandez is leading the jockey colony. We're over a month into it. Um, he is just, he's riding on another level. He takes horses. We'll talk about another one uh, coming up here in the next race. Uh, he takes horses that look good on paper and elevates them. And so I think that's a big reason this horse took money. Um, this is also the only, or not only, but one of the big unknowns in the field. The two and the three have never started. So here you have to try and guess what's going to happen. Um, once the one horse scratched, I felt better about playing against the two because now mm -hmm. you've got a horse debuting from the rail, um, has shown speed in her works, especially that gate work two back going 46 and two at Santa Anita. That is smoking uh, going that fast. Um, I didn't like that she was going to be buried inside for her start. Just like I didn't, I, cause I didn't know where she was going to be at the quarter, the, the opening quarter. I knew with the one, she was probably going to be far back inside and getting a lot of kickback and wouldn't be able to keep up. Uh, when I saw the two burst out of there and go right to the lead with Maddie's mojito, got a little nervous, but uh, a little over a quarter of the way into the race, I got a lot less nervous. So I uh, felt pretty good about where Maddie's mojito was sitting and the two horse, a big reason I played against Spencer was the, the low percentage. I mean, this street boss is 14%. First time out as a sire. He was a fantastic sprinter in his own right. You're getting Juan Hernandez. I just really didn't trust that this barn uh, was going to have him ready to fire first time. It's not Jeff Bondi's style. His style is to get them, you know, like Michael McCarthy, get a good lesson in for that first start and see what you have to build upon. Um, one more reason, too, on, on our Miss Millie, not to keep belaboring this point on a six-horse uh, Calbred field, but Mike Smith on Maidens is a very tricky proposition because as an owner, you love it when Mike Smith's on your horse because he's going to give that horse a lesson. That horse is going to learn something no matter what happens in the race. The problem is when Mike Smith is on a Maiden and it doesn't break necessarily that well, 
He doesn't push the horse into the race. He lets it sit, get kicked back. He lets it see how it responds to all sorts of different scenarios. So again, as an owner, that's fantastic. You're giving my horse all sorts of lessons so that it can eventually grow and develop. As a better, if Mike Smith's on a maiden that doesn't break all that clean, sorry, you're out. There, there goes your ticket. So one more reason to kind of play against. And these are just things that I've learned from following this colony uh, extremely closely. For me, it was Maddie's Mojito. For Magic, it was the three Maddie's Mojito and Ensley's Dream. Let's see who can break their maiden here in the opener right now. And they're off. Maddie's Mojito flew out of the gate. Bossy Mama, Ensley's Dream came away with some early foot, too. And our little tiger, a close-up fourth. A gap of three to Feeling Flush and Genie B at the back of the field. They're coming to the half-mile pole, and Bossy Mama establishes the lead three-quarters of a length to Maddie's Mojito. Our Little Tiger and Ensley's Dream are right together. A gap of four to Feeling Flush, and five more to Genie B off the rail and last. Coming to the three-eighths, Bossy Mama, Maddie's Mojito comes back for more and retakes the lead. Here's Ensley's Dream with a sweet trip on the outside, moving up to take second. Then our little tiger fourth, three lengths off the pace. Still a big gap to Feeling Flush and Genie B. Maddie's Mojito passes the quarter pole in control. Leads it by almost two lengths. Ensley's Dream trying hard, but second and making no impression at this stage. Four back to our little tiger in third. Down at the rail comes Genie B. A 16th to go, and it's Maddie's Mojito. A front-running winner. Maddie's Mojito, prominent all the way and scores by about six lengths. Very easy W. Ensley's Dream was second. Genie B third. Our Little Tiger fourth. And the number six, Maddie's Mojito gets it done, paying 11.60 with a buyer of 69. It's that solid improvement. If we look, Ensley's Dream runs second yet again with another 53 buyer. Just not much improvement, just stagnant right there in those, in those low to mid-50 buyers. Yeah, the, there wasn't a whole lot that surprised me here. Uh, I, I was happy, other than the fact that the two horse was taking so much money. But again, with, when you lose the rail horse, who's a five to two second choice, someone's going to have to start taking money. So it didn't surprise me that's where it went, but um, especially because you, you brought up Vinny. Uh, before the day's racing, he was trashing Santa Anita for how bad the racing was going to be and about how it was so chalky. And uh, Tyler Hoffman, who I know you've had on before, he and I chirped right back at him after this first race. It's like Tyler said, well, it, it took about one race in about a minute, 13 seconds for us to have a double-digit uh, uh, payout at Santa Anita. So it was a good way to start things off if only the rest of the day had uh, paid out as well. I, I think, too, this is just interesting looking at just the, the board in general. Obviously, uh, Ensley's Dream goes off under even money. And Bossy Mama, so you have two very vulnerable favorites. And really, this third choice, I mean, if you're making an odds line, this horse shouldn't pay over $10. This horse should be, like, in that 6 $7 range. So I, I think that people just, when you're looking at maiden races going forward, you have to find the horse that's going to have that early type of speed. Abel Cedillo we know is very good, but also the fact that it's the trainer change for me is the thing that put this horse over the top. Going from mm -hmm. a 13% barn into you know a 15, it doesn't look like a big change. But Mark Glatt specifically, when you break down his stuff in Formulator, his dirt sprint races, his percentages are much higher than anything else in Formulator. Yeah, he's, if you see it on ISDRF as well, he's 22% with a positive ROI on the dirt. That alone should tell you uh, good things. And the, like you said, the first-time trainer angle, first-time blinkers, the, all of the percentages and the ROIs with it say that this horse had uh, everyone. And there's no knock on Ed Moger Jr., 
who is normally up at Golden Gates in the fair circuit. It's just when you're 13% at Golden Gate versus 15% at Sandia Del Mar, there's a big discrepancy in the talent level. It's a lot harder for, for Mark Glatt to hit at 15% here than it would be up north. Any thought on feeling flush? Obviously, uh, ran second last with a 33 buyer. wasn't amazing, but like you had said, sometimes a horse that first time out, you can just excuse it. Are you looking forward to possibly banging this horse next time out? Obviously, um, I would think would maybe possibly drop into the claiming ranks as well. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what she does. The, there are maiden 50 uh, claiming levels for her that might be a better fit, at least to get it underneath her. They bought her for 7000 so I don't think they're that worried about anybody trying to take her uh, off their hands. But uh, Michael Wilson made his applied his trade in New York a long time ago, claiming horses and improving them. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see her. I'm very, very anxious to see where she shows up and who shows up on her in her next start. Again, the fact that Rosario was going to ride her in her debut when there's nothing from the barn or, or anything that says this horse should be bursting out of the gates and bursting at the seams ready to run. So I'll be very curious to see what she does next out. Let's move on to the next race. Race number five, it was the grade two San Pascal going one and one eighth miles on the dirt. Obviously, that rail horse is a special place in your heart, Magic. Tis a magician. What were your thoughts on the race? Yeah, so full disclosure, uh, Tis a magician. I have partial ownership in through MyRacehorse.com. Uh, I have a lot of horses through them, and it's overall a great experience. But uh, Tis a magician has been my favorite from day one. Uh, long before he had a name, uh, he is out of a, a damn name, Magic Union. So I can't take full credit for for the word magic being in his uh, in his name. But this is we've loved this horse for a long time. He, he's always trying hard. He is always game. And uh, if you look at his form, the last three races coming into this were extremely impressive because Drayden Van Dyke was the jockey. And I'm not going to knock it, uh, Victor Espinosa, Triple Crown winning jockey. Drayden fits this horse perfectly. Drayden knows that this horse has to go to the lead early because he doesn't have a strong kick to pass horses if he's trying to trail behind them early. So uh, I knew coming into this that Drayden was going to do one thing, put him on the lead. Uh, I also knew that the five Zestful, who's a former My Race horse horse from a long time ago, uh, I love this horse. I love Mark Glatt. I hated that he was in here because I knew exactly why he was in here, which was to be a pace presence um, and to try and take him gate to wire. So knowing with five horses, knowing what the pace was going to be for a mile and an eighth, I, I, I had to separate my heart. And this is a very difficult thing to do. But I was like, I, on paper, Tis Magician isn't the best horse. Um, I thought that on paper, the best horse was the two idle. And this is a horse that I can't stand. I was against him in the San Antonio. Um, I really wanted to be him against him here, but I thought on paper, this is the classiest horse. He's in form. He's a four-year-old curlin out of an AP Indie mare who's going to be catching a little bit of an off track. I, all the signs said this horse should fire. Gabriel Saez has been flown in for the second time now to ride this horse. Um, so all the signs on paper say that this should work. I hated his trip in the San Antonio. I didn't think that he looked great. Uh, I thought that Gabe Saez uh, is a fantastic jockey normally, does not know how to ride a Santa Anita. Uh, and so I was actually, at the San Antonio, I was surprised Baltus decided to fly him back out again because you have jockeys with last names like Rispoli, Pratt, Smith, and Gonzalez who are not riding in this race. And I would easily take all four of those jockeys over Gabe Saez on a neutral site, let alone on their home track. So uh, it, I, I put Idol on top and was going to play Tis a Magician in my multis and, and go from there because I, I, I thought that Tis a Magician was the better speed horse and I thought Idol was the best overall horse on paper. And this one kicked me in the butt. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about Express Train now or you want to talk about him after after we hear the race, but uh, man, I was, I was dead wrong. I was right about everything else except this horse. And isn't that the way racing goes? You can be right about 99% of the stuff, and the one thing will kind of 
mess you up. I, I was actually on Tis Magician. I I love the last few races, and that's a thing. Like we talk about that, you know, Mike says look for improvement. Well, as soon as the jockey change happened, this horse had you know three straight <laughs> board hits in a row, and that and that matters. So I like that. I also like the two workout stents. I thought the horse was working fantastic. I thought we could see more improvement. Idol for me was just a horse that you you see the three straight races. Obviously ran fantastic in the San Antonio. I just didn't know if we were going to see regression, and I thought even if it was two points, maybe Tiz can bump up and they could be heads of the wire. King Guillermo was the head scratcher. How good was the 99 <laughs> from the Tampa Bay Derby? Now we've seen two races since that have been terrible. Not terrible. The Arkansas Derby was fine. But against Olders and the Slop and the Cigar Mile, just one that I really didn't want to play with. I thought this horse was maybe going backwards. I, I The second race now off this layoff, I wasn't really too impressed. Zestful was going to be the other speed horse. I thought Tiz would be fine with that horse. I wasn't too worried. The, the main thing for me with Express Train, I'll just we can talk about it real quick and then we can go to the race call. It's just the Malibu was very good. Obviously, Charlton, we know how good he can be. I just didn't know if that race had taken so much out chasing a horse like that. That is just that good. Yeah, he had, so the Malibu. I'll back up for a second. Express Train was a horse that, uh, when he broke his maiden, first time routing, 2019, 14 and a quarter lengths. I remember that because it was like, holy smokes, this might be a new monster. And with John Sheriffs, he's an extremely patient trainer, and he's going to take his time. And so he misses 11 months. He, he doesn't hit the board. The American Pharaoh misses 11 months. And he comes back, and he looks strong, sprinting at six and a half furlongs. And then they try routing at Santa Anita. And he finishes a good second, at, you know, at, right behind Extra Hope, who's a very serviceable uh, older male. Kershaw is, is a little bit more in the claiming ranks now in San Diego, but again, a very serviceable horse. Uh, Union Rags horses, I think, are 3% or 4% on turf, so you can scratch off the Twilight Derby try. <laughs> I, when he came back in the Malibu, Spencer, I, I was impressed. I thought that he closed really well. I have a very tiny ownership in Collusion Illusions, so I watched him get past Collusion Illusion, but he talk about uh, how much did it take out of him chasing home Charlatan. He lost ground on Charlatan in the stretch. He passed Collusion Illusion late, but they together lost ground on Charlatan. And I just really thought that we were seeing this horse now at four years old turning into an elite one-turn horse. You know, seven furlongs, give him a one-turn mile at Belmont. Uh, fortunately, we don't have one-turn miles in California. But I was like, that, you know, this could be a great horse. If you want to aim for the Met Mile, this is a great horse to you know the, to try and pick and, and get him ready for it so i really had concerns that that strong turn of foot that he showed in the malibu was going to work around two turns especially going a mile and an eighth if we were going a mile yeah you could probably see him unleash it but a mile and an eighth that's man it, i don't know if he's going to be able to just get that cook uh, that kick unleashed so i you know again at a short price i'm trying to beat chalk in every you know i don't want to play chalk in every race so uh i've already got idle at nine to five i'm fully against king guillermo um Express train two to one. I was like, I think it's just a little too short. Uh, and I doubted Juan Hernandez, who's the leading jockey at Santa Anita, and it wasn't the right idea. For me, it was Tiz a Magician. For you, it was Idol on top with a little Tiz underneath. Let's see who can get the grade two win right now. And they're off in the San Pasqual. Very smooth beginning, and King Guillermo breaks very nicely. Tiz a Magician along the inside. And Zestful, those three right across the track. Express train will settle just behind this trio. And Idol will do his best running later. Tis a magician, hugs the rail, and takes the lead into the first turn. King Guillermo is a little bit wide, and that means Zestful even wider. Express Train is fourth, two and a half or so off the lead, and two in front of Idol. 
They come to the six furlong pole, and Tis a magician leads three quarters of a length. Zestful is eager and going after him in second. Express train is down at the rail. King Guillermo now fourth, but just two and a half off the lead. And another two to an unhurried idol. Five furlongs from home in the San Pasquale Stakes. Drayden Van Dyke and Tis a magician taking them along three quarters of a length. Zestful second at the rail. Express train. Idol is moving up. He's in some traffic. And King Guillermo just outside of him. Compact group heads toward the 3-8th pole. Tis a magician and Zestful 1-2 the whole way. Express train at the rail. King Guillermo being worked upon now. And Idol has lost some ground after that bid is fifth. Will now go around horses. Has four lengths to make up. Approaching the quarter pole. Tis a magician and Zestful. Express train angles out. Idol takes fourth. King Guillermo's last top of the stretch, and Zestful is up to take the lead. On the outside, Express Trains had a beautiful trip, and he's poised to pounce. And down at the rail, Tis a Magician fights on Tis a Magician. And Express Train, Express Train, inside the final eighth of a mile, has taken command in the San Pasquale. And it's Express Train to win convincingly. Scores by three. Tis a Magician was second. Idol found his best ride far too late in third. Zestful was fourth. And the number four express train wins paying 720 with 100 buyers. So I guess the Malibu didn't take too much out of him. <laughs> adding a nice grade to here. Tiz runs second. Throws a good try. Idle third. So pretty much the top three horses that we thought were going to do something actually ended up on the board. Uh, when you make a mistake with a horse like this, though, the 720, I mean, it wasn't $16. So, I mean, you know, you're just wrong. And it happens. Yeah, yeah, I was wrong. Uh, I, uh, uh, two thirds of the way through the far turn, Spencer, I knew I was. Uh, it was going to be almost impossible to hold off Express Train because I saw. I kept thinking Mike Smith, who used to ride Express Train, was on him because Juan Hernandez did the Smith move halfway through the turn. He peaked, and as he peaked, he pulled the horse out and went three wide. And I was like, this this looks exactly like a Mike Smith move <laughs> to win a stakes race, which is a huge compliment to Juan Hernandez's riding abilities because I think he's about half his age. Um, Listen, Tiz a magician, uh, I knew as his owner and from watching his works in his past races, he's a fighter. Uh, he doesn't give up. Uh, afterwards, Drayden said that he didn't see Idol come, or I'm sorry, Express Train coming until it was too late, and then he kind of lost. I'll be honest, I don't know that he could have stopped Express Train if that horse went literally, you know, mm -hmm. side by side with him in the stretch. Um, but he did hold off Idol, who again gets a really bad trip uh, or interesting trip. Um, I did feel a little validated afterwards when Jay Privman's comments were, uh, it'd be interesting to see uh, what Idol can do with a new jockey. So I've, uh, he feels the same way that I do with a, a local rider. He probably has a better chance in the big cap next up. Uh, King Guillermo, I was fully against him and it, it paid off. Uh, this is a horse that, you know, uh, it's going to be easy to redboard <laughs> later on, but this horse has had one good race on dirt in his career, and it's the Tampa Bay Derby. And if you look at who he beat in the Tampa Bay Derby, Soli Volante came back to win his next race, but that horse was very up and down with his career. Uh, the Arkansas Derby, sure, he was second. Uh, he was never close to Nadal, and Nadal was pressing those early fast fractions where they went, what, 46-1 and one for the opening half mm -hmm. and somehow held on to win by three lengths. So... Yeah, he wasn't close to Nadal, who would have gone to the Derby as a favorite. And then, I don't mean to knock Juan Avila, the trainer, but man, this, I don't think he knows what to do with this horse because he keeps pointing him to different preps during the summer. And they keep, oh, we're going to skip this one, we're going to work to this one. Nope, skip that one, we're going to work to this one. Oh, we're going to skip it, we're going to work to the Derby. Oh, we're going to skip it, work to the Preakness. And they kept skipping, and then we're skipping work to the Breeders' Cup. Oh, we're going to skip that. Now we're going to go to Cigar Mile. Oh, he runs terrible in Cigar Mile because he hasn't run in seven months. Okay. 
then he was going to run somewhere else in the Pegasus. No, okay, now we're going to go to Santa Anita. Okay, like he doesn't know what to do with this horse, where to put him. And so, you know, I think we can, I'm ready to, to fully close the book on him. I haven't bet King Guillermo once, but uh, I think that this horse, I think he was such a flash in the pan that uh, I'm excited to see if he keeps showing up like the big cap, because I don't think he's got a shot in, in heck to, to, to win there. So, yeah. I think too, looking just overall at the race, I think like we had said, tis good value at five to one underneath. If you're, right about King Guillermo, which we both were. Now we just got to try and find the other horse. And it's hard when you look at Idol and Express Train because it's probably one or the other in, in this aspect. And just Idol had run mm -hmm. the three good races. The San Antonio was good. I just wonder if maybe we've seen, it's hard to say with only four starts, but as a four-year-old, like not a ceiling, but is a grade two maybe all. I, this horse may not be that grade one caliber horse, whereas Express Train... Had a lot more seasoning, was two, had the optional 62 win. Twilight Derby, like you said, crossed it out, then runs fantastic in the Malibu. I just feel like Express Train, when you look at it from the class angle as well, that, that horse had been facing much tougher. Yep, he had. He had. And, and there, the, you know, the, the, those questions came in um, with Idol. He, he was second in the San Antonio to Kiss Today Goodbye, but Kiss Today Goodbye was a huge upset in that race and went to the Pegasus and didn't really show up. So. You know, the, the question about his class level was uh, was very much in play there for, for that race. Let's move on to our next race. It was race number seven, the grade three, Robert B. Lewis going 1160 miles on the dirt. What would you like in this prep, Magic? Well, for this one, I thought it was pretty simple. Even before the scratches, I was, you got two Bob Bafferts, you got two Doug O'Neill horses, and I was going to use those four and move on in my multis. Uh, I, went with, uh, I went back and forth on who to put on top. Uh, almost up until it was time for me to punch my ticket. Uh, I ended up going with Hot Rod Charlie, but I, I thought that you could have gone pretty much anywhere here. Hot Rod Charlie had the, the two-turn dirt test that he passed. You know, He broke his maiden, and then he went to the Breeders' Cup at 94-1 to 1 and, and came within a length of who I thought was the very much deserving uh, two-year-old champion. Um, Medina Spirit showed in the sham that he wasn't you know, just a one-shot pony for Baffert. He, he closed on life is good pretty well. Life is good is the leading contender right now for the Kentucky Derby. Um, and he got the rail draw with Cedillo with, with his speed, I thought was a good use. The problem with playing Bafferts in, in California, especially in these derby preps, is you're not going to get a good price. Uh, I didn't want to use Spielberg. Spielberg burned my money so many times as a two-year-old. Uh, talk about tough luck when you can't even get a million-dollar horse to win uh, that often when he's a two-year-old. But um, I, I had to use him because if Spielberg knocked me off, I knew that I was going to be extremely upset. And plus, he beat the great one in the low South futurity with the great one came back to break his maiden extremely impressively. So I had to use him, but this felt like a race Spencer. That was, it's either going to be Baffert or it's going to be an O'Neill. Uh, wipe the slate was second to life is good on debut. So if I like Medina spirit for finishing second to life is good. I got to go with wipe the slate. What about you? I think we look overall at this race Spielberg, like you had said, money burner, million dollar horse just had tried four graded stakes at this point And it only won the low South futurity. And I always feel like when you get a win at Los Sal, they always come back and do not run well. Switching back over to Santanita, Delmar, etc. Wipe the slate for the price that he was. If you thought that this horse was going to improve again for Nyquist, just, again, a horse that we know would like to go a little bit longer and was stretching out for the first time. Doug O'Neill was not good stretching them out. He's only 10% negative ROI over 100 starts. I wouldn't say it's a bad stat, but just 10%. At the price was fine. If he was a lower price, not for me. I was with you. Hot Rod Charlie. Great... The maiden victory now is a little bit suspect to me because it was he was on the pace, slow fractions. 
And then the juvenile race was almost so good, but it was such a big jump up. Now, obviously, had the layoff coming back. And this horse needed a couple starts before it broke the maiden and showed that big, big race. So maybe the aspect for me was I should have waited one extra race. Uh, Medina Spirit, great second in the Sham to Life, is good like you had said. The maiden win was another one again with slow fractions. So I was definitely more hot rod Charlie when the odds came out. Obviously, 5-2 to two compared to even money is a big, big difference. So for me, I was on hot rod Charlie. For you, it was the Bafferts. Let's see who gets some more derby points right now. And. They're off in the Robert B. Lewis. Wipe the slate flies out of the gate. Medina Spirit on the inside. Parnelli is in between them up close too. Then it's Spielberg and Hot Rod Charlie. And the trailer is Roman Centurion. Into the first turn and Medina Spirit intent on making the lead and does so. In front three quarters of a length. Parnelli between and wipe the slate on the outside. Takes second. A gap of four. Hot Rod Charlie is next. Just in front of Spielberg. And another two to Roman Centurion. Onto the backstretch in the Robert B. Lewis Stakes. And it's Medina Spirit dueling with Wipe the Slate. Parnelli has backed off three off the leaders. Another two, Hot Rod Charlie starts to gather a little bit of momentum. He's racing three in front of Spielberg and Roman Centurion. A half mile from home. Medina Spirit puts a length on Wipe the Slate. Parnelli trying to come back for more. Hot Rod Charlie in striking range. He's two and a half off the pace coming to the three-eighth pole. Spielberg yellow cap at the rail. Roman Centurion outside of him. Medina Spirit has a one-length lead on Wipe the Slate. On the outside, Hot Rod Charlie. Roman Centurion is starting to gather some momentum on the far outside. He's moving up to take second as the field turns for home. Medina Spirit called on now. Center of the track, Roman Centurion. Hot Rod Charlie is in between them. Roman Centurion, Hot Rod Charlie trying to run down Medina Spirit. They're inside the eighth pole. Between horses, Hot Rod Charlie. Medina Spirit, tough as nails. Roman Centurion on the outside. Roman Centurion, Medina Spirit, and Hot Rod Charlie. What a game victory from Medina Spirit. And the number one Medina Spirit gets it done paying $4 even with a 91 buyer. So there was actually a bunch of regression goes from a 99 to a 91. Roman Centurion, a horse we didn't talk about, stepped up. And Hot Rod Charlie, you know, kind of ran that mid to low 90 that we saw from the juvenile. So I think we were both right. Or at least we were both right to pick Hot Rod Charlie. I think Medina Spirit regressing at even money. We got kind of unlucky here. Yeah, the uh, listen. There, we had two but uh, two Derby preps over the weekend. You had the Holy Bull at Gulfstream, and you had the the Robert Bielus at Santa Anita. And I think if you were looking for a Derby winner, you probably weren't going to look at Santa Anita. But if you wanted an exciting finish, I mean, my mm-hmm. goodness, you couldn't have gotten a better exciting finish at any track in any race all weekend. Um, I thought for sure Roman Centurion was going to get up. That that horse with Juan Hernandez again after what I just saw two races earlier with Express Train. I thought, oh goodness. Here he comes again. This is the last time I ever don't play Juan Hernandez in any any race whatsoever. Um, Medina Spirit, I thought, showed tremendous heart, tremendous fight. Uh, stuck on the inside, the length of the stretch in only his third start with two horses on his outside. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. He set a pretty quick pace, uh, at least for what he had been doing. He had every reason to give up, and he didn't. And so I was the most impressed with him. Uh, I don't – I mean, for an even-money horse, you want to see him win by a lot more than a neck if you bet him. But um, for him to hold off Roman Centurion and Hot Rod Charlie, 
who got, I thought if he had been on the outside, maybe Hot Rod Charlie could have had a better shot at winning. Um, he misses uh, to Roman Centurion by a nose. And Medina Spirit on the gallop out took off again. And there's a, a belief, a theory right now that Medina Spirit might have been able to win by a bit more than that if it wasn't for the, the whip rules that we have in California. You can only mm -hmm. hit or six times total in a race and no more than two consecutively. And if you watch Abel Cedillo in the head-on in the stretch, you can almost see him counting as he's riding. He's one, two. Like he has to vary and he has to space those out. When this horse goes to Keeneland, to Churchill, to Belmont, wherever he goes outside the state of California, you got to remember that he was being hampered by the jockey only being able to encourage him six times total. So now when he moves somewhere else, I think that that gives that horse a little bit of a leg up. I actually have a diff uh, a much different opinion. I kind of feel like when you see a, a race like this where a horse just has to gut it out so so you know massively like he did that I don't want anything to do with this horse next time out. He can be four to five, which he probably will, and he can beat me. I want all of Hot Rod Charlie. I think he's going to be five to two, three to one in that same aspect. You know, I think Roman Centurion's going to take a ton of money next time out as well. Hot mm -hmm. Rod Charlie just showing the two races that you know. Obviously, on the dirt, you want to see big jumps in buyers, but I just think keeping the 94 and 91 close together, Medina Spirit going a little bit backwards after that big, big second race, which, you know, if people thought this horse was going to run a 106 buyer, they were incorrect. You know, <laughs> I, I think looking at it, I want the second and third choices a lot more than the winner. And that's fair. I, I think it, also when you get to the San Anita Derby, when we get to these mile and an eighth races, since this was mile and the 16th, uh, be careful with Roman Centurion going longer because you got to see that really nice turn of foot when Medina Spirit was getting pressured. Uh, I don't know how well that's going to carry if he doesn't have a good pace setup. When you get to the San Anita Derby, if the leader goes 22-4, and 46-3 early, they're probably going to come back at you, but I don't think that you're going to see quite as quick of an early pace in that race. So just when you see a horse like Roman Centurion off of a maiden breaking effort rally to do so well like this in his stakes debut, first time facing winners, you, yeah, you missed out on that 11 to 1 price, but don't take too short of a price because something Mike Samich taught me is if, if you didn't pay for the wedding, the fun time here, <laughs> don't pay for the funeral when he loses at 5 to 2. So just be very careful about horses like this moving forward. Let's do a quick recap on the last race. It was the finale. We're back in the maiden ranks. State bred at maiden 50,000 going six furlongs on the dirt. I kind of thought this was a two-horse race. Crash Corrigan and the favorite on the outside, Sabuda. What would you like in here, Magic? So I was against Crash Corrigan. Uh, I didn't like that he was going to be buried on the inside. This horse has had problems with the start. Three out of his four career starts hasn't gotten out of the gate very well. And when you're on the inside, it's not a great sign. Uh, I don't love that this is the same level he's been at the last three uh, starts, maiden uh, 50 state bred, uh, and that this is the time they decide to drop him in for $5,000 fewer so they can get a weight break. Uh, that tells me, all right, well, this horse isn't good enough to get it done without a little bit of a help. Let's take you know 5000 less if someone wants to buy him off of us. Uh, I didn't like his trip, so I was pretty much against him. Um, I, I thought it was a two-horse race between Sabuda and then the six-horse, the loot is mine. I am a huge fan of Gary Barber as an owner. I think that he's one of the sharpest owners when it comes to placing his horses and letting them run. And it's Peter Miller uh, sprinting on the dirt, adding blinkers. Uh, those are all very nice, uh, uh, above 20% uh, moves for him. Peter Miller's just been on fire. He's, he's 10 for 60 at the meet coming into this race, but he was, it, it just seems like everything that he touches or puts out on the track is going to magically get a heck of a lot better. And so uh, second time at this level, I think you can forgive that last effort when he just was never involved and quit pretty hard. Uh, 
I thought this was a great place. And hey, look who's on him, Juan Hernandez. I, it looks like I finally <laughs> learned my lesson in the last race. It was an interesting race for me because I had stopped playing with Real Money and I was involved in the Daily Gallup contest, which we were a part of for one season. And I just knew that with how chalky it was going to be, I wanted to not play so much chalk going down towards the end. I wanted to have you know, at least one little shot. I thought Sibuda was probably going to be the most likely winner. I ended up going with Crash Corrigan. I thought that the race two back sprinting, maybe the uh, the gate stuff w- was kind of fixed. I know, obviously, then it was bad mm-hmm. in, the, in the route race. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, Van Dyke's getting on. He's kind of got the same profile for me as, as Tyler Bays. Maybe this one first-time Lasix. I know it's a small sample, but two for five. $3, 12 ROI, very good off a of layoff. I just wanted a horse that was going to go off at you know, four to one compared to Sabuda, who's going to be, you know, possibly blocking me from winning as well if my opponent has. Just one that I wanted. I, I overlooked the loot is mine. Looking back on it now, this is definitely a horse I probably should have also had. The, the last race was at low style. Just toss that race right out, and he's got 54-57 for buyers, which fit in, you know, really well against that 65 last time out for Sabuda. Maybe a little bit of improvement here with these lightly raced horses. Uh, it was Sabuda for you. It was Crash Corrigan for me. Let's see who breaks the finale in this wonderful day of racing to end at Santanita right now. And they're off. Sabuda very quick. The Roan Ranger is flashing plenty of speed. And the loot is mine is up to take the lead quicker than both of them. Then it's Robin's Legacy. Stones River is a close-up fifth in some traffic trouble, having to take up in between horses. Careless Kitten is on the far outside. JT's Watch is in between horses. Down at the rail, Crash Corrigan. Seahawk Cody has to back out of a little bit of traffic. Then it's Cousin Eddie and a gap of three to Little Mischief. Into the far turn. The loot is mine. Much sharper today. Leads three-quarters of a length. Sabuda presses. And these two pull two and a half clear of the Roan Ranger in third. Down at the rail, the gray is Robin's Legacy in fourth. JT's watches in between horses. Stones River with the red cap as the field turns for home and Sabuda dashes for home. Opens up two and a half in a hurry. The loot is mine is back to second. And then it's a wall of horses battling out miners. Crash Corrigan coming through along the inside. JT's watch, the Roan Ranger, and all the others left in the wake of Sabuda who has overwhelmed the competition. Sabuda strolls in by almost five lengths. The loot is mine with second. Crash Corrigan, the Roan Ranger, and Stones River completes the super high five. And then number nine, Sabuda gets it done, paying a very nice 460 with a 79 <laughs> fire. What would you like in here? Uh, hard not to like it. I mean, you've got a horse taking a big class drop from the state-bred main special weight to, to the maiden claiming ranks. And going back to the very first race we talked about with these calibred, Spencer, I said, you need speed in these races because a lot of these horses don't like to run very fast and then even less of them like to pass. So the fact that I had the two speed horses, the six and the nine, uh, running up there for a while, I mean, obviously you're cheering for the better price between the two, but uh, you know, Umberto Rispoli is 31% for a reason. Uh, you take that all-important class drop. Everything seemed to line up for this horse. I thought it was uh, pretty formful for how I bet it, since I was looking at 6 and 9 on top here. It kinds of across uh, 9 and 6. I'll take it. Uh, the loot is mine, I think, is a horse taking another step forward in this race. I think this one will be dangerous next time out. You probably won't get 5 to 1, but I still think, you know, 2 to 1, 5 to 2 would be a solid price. Crash Corrigan ends up running third for me, so I get that third-place show dough. And I ended up winning my matchup uh, nice. overall, overall for the day for you. Uh, winning day, break even, where were we at? Uh, not a winning day, no. The, uh, uh, 
the problem with an eight-race eight, ho eight field and all I do is play pick fours and pick fives usually. Mm -hmm. um, when I miss a middle leg, like race five, the stakes race, <laughs> it's kind of hard for me to connect on anything. Um, I, I, you know, I went six for eight that day, and I went seven of eight uh, on Sunday overall with my picks. Uh, a very chalky weekend, so I feel that uh, I took the right stabs against chalk and uh, – you know, if I was sitting here trying to play all chalk, then I'd probably have a great day. But long term, you know, your listeners know that's not how you make money and stay profitable. So uh, it was OK. Um, but moving forward for next weekend, uh, when there's going to be a mandatory payout on the pick six on Saturday, I think it's setting up for a lot better racing and a lot better prices because we're getting a lot of turf action back. That is all the time we have for today. Let's thank my special guest, Magic from the Magic Mike Show. Uh, Magic, where can people find you on social media and where can they find the stuff for the racing dudes? Well, uh, we're at racingdudes.com. Uh, search Racing Dudes on any social media platform. You can find us there. Our YouTube page, we're doing a lot of stuff on YouTube. Uh, Ricky Pashanek, who Spencer brought up earlier, is uh, I think he just graduated high school uh, last month. So no, we joke about how he's young. He's, I think he's 24. But uh, he does a daily morning show where he previews the last four races of the day at Gulfstream Park. Um, that's on our YouTube page. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Curtis Kelloward. That is just my handle. Uh, it's pretty easy to find. It, if, you've, if you're listening to Spencer's podcast, just look how we spelled my name. Hopefully he spelled it correctly. Uh, you can find me that way. And Spencer, before we go, I just want to thank you for, for having me on. This is, uh, like I said, I've been a longtime listener. Um, but also, just real quick, the... Uh, we go through hills and valleys a lot as handicappers, as betters, where you know, we're doing really hot, and then we get into a slump, and sometimes it feels like you can't pull out of that slump. And I was going through one of those slumps a few weeks ago, and you had Brad Free on. And one of the very first things that, that I do when I get done handicapping for Sanita Del Mar is I go look, what did Brad Free think about this? What, am, I am I missing something? Is he seeing something here that I didn't, or vice versa? Am I reading too much into something? Um, and Brad, one of the first things he said, he said, when you're slumping, go back to the four pillars of handicapping, which is speed, pace, form, and class. And I literally stopped what I was doing, and I wrote it on this post-it note that now sits right here on my desk. So <laughs> it literally says speed, pace, form, class. When I get done with a race, I now go back through and check. Speed, pace, form, class, what do the four pillars tell me? And it, it's really turned me around. So thank you for your show and all that you do and for having people on like Brad Free, like Mike Samich, like Tyler Hoffman, like Matt Bernier, all the g great guests you have. Uh, it still feels weird to me that my name's now part of that. So I really appreciate it. We're going to have to have you on again soon for maybe some action in Del Mar. Looking forward to it, bud. Perfect. Thanks, Spencer. And now it's time for another handicapping tip from Barry Meadow, author of The Skeptical Handicapper. You can order The Skeptical Handicapper on trpublishing.com or find it on Amazon. Take it away, Barry. Overall, second-time starters are not a very productive group. We checked nearly 64,000 of them from every race in North America from 2014 through 2017. They won their fair share of races, 12%, but the ROI loss was 29 cents per dollar. You want some really ugly numbers? Horses who didn't make their second lifetime start until age six or later won just 4% for a horrendous loss of 78 cents per dollar. Ouch. A bright spot in the not-so-bright Allberger total was the performance of layoff horses making their second start. We divided groups by various days-off ranges. Both the three to six months group, nearly 2,200 races, and the six to 12 months group, more than 4,100 races, recorded powerful 0.88 ROIs, a loss of just 12 cents per dollar with no handicapping. Maybe a two-year-old boat attendant or a three-year-old got injured or the one race convinced the trainer the horse needed more time. No matter what the explanation, 
These long layoff horses did well compared with horses who made their debut more recently. Not counting these layoff second-timers, easily the best-performing second-time starter was the horse who won his debut in a maiden special weight race. Other factors which contributed to better-than-average ROIs for second-time starters included good ratings for speed, pedigree, trainer, and jockey. I'm Barry Meadow, author of The Skeptical Handicapper, using data and brains to win at the racetrack. Thanks again, Barry, for that awesome tip on second-time starters, and thanks again to Magic from the Magic Mike Show for coming on and being my special guest today, talking Santa Anita. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Forentel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.